This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. To start off with a song by Mavis Staples. about church things a lot, you know, these days, and, and I, I was working this into a baptism yesterday. I highly advise people, you know, if I was to require you to do homework, I'm a former teacher, I feel like I can do that. 
The homework would be to watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma. Well worthwhile taking your time, and has a lot of implications for church. We're going to talk more about it in an upcoming sermon. And, and it, it, the, the essence of it is this, like the line that really got me was the line where this person interviewing saying, truth today is measured by clicks. Isn't that interesting? Truth today is measured by clicks. Now, a lot of us, like myself, you know, we still have, we, we have one last teenager at home. And, and the, he used that example of saying, like, their self-image, their truth about themselves is really based on clicks. How many likes they get, how many smiley faces, how many emojis, etc., that they get. There's something about that that breaks my heart. There's something about that that breaks my heart. And how do we step off of that? How do we step off of that craziness and try to, again, develop a sense of worth, not from clicks and emojis and smiley faces, but from how God sees us, how God calls to us. And we live in an era where I feel like, man, it's hard that that social media will win 99 times out of 100. You know, if you gave most people uh, the choice of being in church for an hour or being on Facebook for an hour, they would choose Facebook, frankly. And, and yet we have, to, we have to kind of think through, how do we use these tools as best we can to further the world in ways that are filled with hope and, and care and a, and a truth that is beyond just clicks? I wonder about that a lot. And I think especially with the series like this, where we look at resilience, it's so important to come back to those true north things, those, those things that don't change. And how is it that we, we, we settle ourselves there and find peace there? Because I think it's so easy, especially if you're a young adult in, in this era, to think, well, I'll find peace when I have 2,000 friends and 1,000 likes or 10,000 views. On whatever, and, and I just don't think that's true. And I don't want to sound sort of fuddy-duddy about it. I want to, want to sound it as, as, the, as the social dilemma does. is like, well, there's, there's an invitation in here too, right, with all these challenges. An invitation to come back to these very deep, very meaningful places. So the way we've been doing that with this series is this. We've looked at five parts. Part one, will we survive this? Part two, patience when it all goes wrong. Part three, confronting reality with unwavering hope. Part four, which is today, showing up for the ones we love. And part five, what do we want to be when this is over? What do we want to be when this is over? I, I think that idea, folks, of, of like looking at, at, you know, how do we show up for our loved ones? Resilience is really important with that. Because our loved ones, our family structures, I think, are probably strained a little bit at this time. I'm going out on a limb saying that, but I don't think it's probably too much of a limb. And I want to use a story to to talk to you about that and to share that with you. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at a contemporary story. We're going to pull the two together. And and it's kind of looking at it from a 10,000-foot level, hoping that it really does have impact on, on the ones you love and how we go forward in this week ahead. So the question I want to start out asking you folks is this one. 
what has been the cost of this season for you? You know, where has this season been hard? Answer in the chat window or text me 215-740-3662. All right, friends, as those those come in, I'm going to come back when we come back for the second half of the service and and, and look at that. And it's it's just acknowledging again that, that this is indeed a hard season. And we're probably going into another hard season here. And how do we sort of get some clarity around it? And, and um, yeah, so much of it, right, is, is we take this time to breathe and to get clear. What are the compass points we're going to use to navigate moving forward? A part of it is just that simple starting of like, yeah, this has been hard. And in what ways has it been hard? I want to look today kind of pulling together both things from the Bible and, and things from another period in American history uh, that, that was another hard season that I think has some beautiful lessons to teach us. I want to talk today, we're going to go back and forth with the story of John Lewis. Now, now I've used this particular picture before here at New Church Live because I find it so powerful. What this is a picture of was was there was a civil rights march in Montgomery, Alabama. Huge number of civil rights protesters peacefully protesting, walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And then they get confronted by the police on the left, led by Chief Bull Connor. And, and when they come over to the other side, they, a riot ensues. They end up getting beat up. John Lewis ends up getting a skull fracture. Uh, you know, this was, this was sort of like one of the moments in, in American history, like just right there, captured right there. Some of the things that strike me, you know, about this picture, one is, you know, the civil rights leaders on the right, their hands in their pockets. Nonviolent revolution. Nonviolent dissent. The police doing their thing. And then in the background are a lot of other folks just standing, watching by, which is probably, a, you know, a lot of people. And, and this, this tension from the civil rights movement, again, this is from the civil rights movement, this is from 1965. And, and we look then at John Lewis just a few years ago in the next picture. John Lewis, amazing civil rights leader. And, and he, he said something, right? So, so they march over the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 19, 1965. They march over that bridge. And then he was asked this question in a podcast just a few years ago. It was a congressman. He passed recently. Just asked this question a few years ago. They asked him, well, what's, what's the hardest faith for you to hold on to? What's the hardest faith for you to hold on to? And, and he had an amazing answer. I mean, it was sort of was, was stunning to me because this guy was a diehard Christian, right? And, and you would think hardest faith to hold on to in this, like, is there a God? Is there not a God? Da, da, da. Why did good things happen to bad people? All these things. And, and again, we're talking a world that he was raised in that was, that was segregationist. I mean, Alabama was a very divided, far more than what we can imagine today, was a very divided society. You had Jim Crow laws, you had, had lots of segregation. Again, this was, was the 60s. Uh, we have our strains today, and, and I know as a history teacher looking back, the strains back then were just, were just you know, mind-boggling, I think, in a lot of ways. And this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, the hardest faith is to have faith that others can change. The hardest faith to hold on to 
so that others can change. Now, I think when we look at that, we have to be super, super careful with all of this. We have to be gentle. We have to be tender. Uh, we have to hold, hold um, change in a, in, a, in a light grasp. It's interesting. His, his comment about faith was that others can change. He's not saying we need to be in a position where others have to change. And I'm talking about whatever side of the spectrum of anything that you're on. It doesn't work if if we hold so tightly that, look, other people absolutely must change. We kind of hold on to that with, with, with like a fervored grip. It's not that at all. It's about saying, yeah, I have to have faith that others can change. Because if I have faith, if I can keep that faith that others can change, please listen carefully to this. Please, 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 please. If I have faith that others can change, then I also have faith that I can change. And then, then I also have faith that we can change. That we part so incredibly significant. This is not a conversation about sides. This is a conversation about we, about us. So again, we have to be able to hold on to that faith that others can change. And if we can hold on to that faith, maybe we can allow a faith to come in that, yeah, maybe I can change. And then if we can hold on to that, maybe we can have a conversation that we can change. If not, we just talk past each other. If not, it's just two competing monologues <laughs> moving right past each other which is not a way to show up for the ones we love. We're actually called to something much bigger. See, why is this a big deal? If I'm really convinced that I have it right and that other people can't change, is that the world we want to live in? No, it just isn't, right? Like, I don't want to live in a world where I really believe change is impossible. Do I have days? Do you have days? Do we have days where we feel change is impossible? Absolutely. That's part of the human condition. But we have to be able to have as well this, this softness and this gentleness that others can change. If others can change, I can change. If I can change, folks, there is a we out there. There is a we out there, a a rediscovery of this us that can change, that can move forward. A unity not born of uniformity, but a unity based on a thousand voices all pointed the same direction. That's the kind of unity, I think, that Christ calls us to. We see stories over and over again that that are reminders about this, are reminders that people change. I mean, the Bible is just filled with people who change. It's filled with people who change. 
And, and it's the same for the story we've been looking at, the, the story of Joseph. Now, the context for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, simple context of Joseph's story. Joseph was, was one of 12. He was known as the dreamer in the family. He goes out uh, to visit his brothers who are out in the field. There's 11 of them. They are not so impressed with his dreaminess. Matter of fact, he's sort of the odd men out in this crew of 12. So they literally take him and they sell him into slavery, tell his father that he's been killed. They sell him into slavery. He goes, he gets sent to Egypt. He ends up being imprisoned in Egypt. And then he slowly works his way back up through the ranks, ends up being one of the most powerful people in Egypt. Now, given that story, it's easy to believe for him that others can't change. You know, if that had happened to you, and I know nobody who's, whose family has done such dastardly deeds as that, I mean, because it's the one deed after another. Um, but that idea, right, of like, he would have been totally justified to believe the change was impossible for these others. And if he really believed change was impossible for others, I don't even think the story of Joseph would have made it into the Bible. Because it just would have been another very human story about vengeance. And it's not. It actually ends up being a deeply powerful story. I'm going to read it to you now. And, and, and so this is, you, you got to picture it here. So here's Joseph. He's one of the leaders of, of, of Egypt now. And his brothers come in. His brothers are starving. They're up in this land called Canaan, north of Egypt, north of modern Egypt. They're starving. They're like, we got to find a place where we can get food. We're refugees. So it's, there's a pack of refugees. They travel down to Egypt. They manage to get an audience with this guy who's dispensing grain. And this is where we get to see his choice. His choice. Of how is he going to show up? Does he really believe other people can change? And folks, he has the power not to believe that. He has the power to make very different decisions than what he did. So let's read this story. This is from Genesis 42. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. I mean, just imagine how shocking that would be to see your brothers there. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they said. We are here to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies, you've come here to see, what our, to see that our land is unprotected. And there you kind of see like, like here's this moment where he's like, he remembers these dreams and he remembers what his brothers did to him. And he's like facing this moment and all he can blurt out is like, you're spies. It's obviously you've come here to do us harm. As he's confronted with his brothers who are now refugees. No, my Lord, they answered. And, and you got to see, like, this would have been a panicked, no, my Lord. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. 
But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The younger, youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. And one is no more. When we come back for the second half of the service, I want to pick it up and look at like, yeah, what does Joseph decide in this moment? Because he had the power to decide that no one can change. And as the musicians come up and as we get ready for this next video, if he had decided that, he would have really been saying, well, I can't change either. And likewise, he would have been saying, well, we can't change. So you take a look at this video. Again, this is a video about our, our programs. And then enjoy the song. And when I come back, I want to touch on this one more time and really look at what is it like to make that choice in that moment a choice of love and a choice of reconciliation and a choice of resilience. There's a hero If you look inside your heart you don't have to be afraid of what you are. There's an answer if you reach into your soul and the sorrow that you know melts away. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on and you cast your fears aside. And you know you can survive So when you feel like hope is gone Look inside you and be strong And you'll finally see the truth That a hero lies in you It's a long road When you face the world alone No one reaches out a hand for you hold you can find love if you search within yourself and the emptiness you felt will disappear and then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on and you cast your fears aside and you know you can survive so when you feel like hope is gone, look inside you and be strong. And you'll finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. Love knows, dreams are hard to follow, but don't let anyone tell them. And you know you can survive So when you feel like hope is gone Look inside you and be strong 
folks like I, I just I look at this I'm like they're real costs right and, and again I'm sorry for my for my messy writing and and all this and there's a bunch more on the chat these are just a few ones I I was talking about like the cost of this time somebody wrote energy and sleep another person wrote disconnection another person wrote managing all this chaos this was an interesting one that idea that yeah you know it's it's a cost because everybody's kind of holding out to you first you know, well, I'll change after you change. You're going to see that's not what happens in this story. Big, big surprise there, right? Let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. Family not visiting. Remembering to take responsibility. That's, that's a big one. Like just, you know, it's, it's easy to complain. It's easy to com, uh, confuse activity with effectiveness. And, and yeah, and yet we're all sort of tasked to really take responsibility for this time and this era that God has put us in. This was a good one. Politics outweighing love. Yeah, get this. You're watching our kids struggle. You know, watching our kids struggle. It's hard. It's hard watching our kids struggle. Gathering. How are we going to gather? How are we going to gather in the spring? How are we going to gather in the summer? And a nurse wrote about people watching people pass and they can't be with their loved ones. You know, the final words have to be on FaceTime. So there definitely are costs. And, and, and resilience isn't about, and it's, it's why guys, like, I, I want to be so clear, like, resilience is not about success because I feel like if resilience was just about success, we would never even make a list like this. It would just be like, live your best life now. It's all okay. You'll figure it out. And, and some of this stuff's really hard. These are actual real costs. And within them, what do we know? We know God's there too. And there are opportunities to be part of healing and hope. But God's there too. And there are opportunities to be part of healing and hope. I'm going to step back over here. That's where, again, we, we can't lose track of, of how big a decision it is that Joseph made. I mean, there's this line, right? This line that I read. They replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Now, <laughs> if you had brothers who had sold you into slavery, lead you, led you into imprisonment, and here you are, now you have all the power in the world, far more power than they do, and you heard them not even able to say your name. Not even able to be honest about what really happened. But just in some way, just to say, one is no more. I mean, that to me is kind of the moral fulcrum of this story. Because I know what I would have chosen in that moment to say. And it would not be what I would want to share with this congregation. 
He shares something very different. We're going to look at part sharing, sort of what he shared part one this week, what he shared part two next week. It goes on. Reuben replied, the oldest brother. And the oldest brother here, uh, he was somebody who actually had tried to rescue Joseph. And, and they, what they don't realize is that Joseph knows the Hebrew language. He, they don't realize he does. So as they're, they're chatting in their own native tongue, Joseph's able to translate. That's why we know what Reuben said. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. Yeah, so Reuben kind of knows the score in some way. So what does it say that Joseph did at that moment? Well, he leaves. He goes to collect himself because he finds himself in tears. Now the tears here, such such a human moment, right? And when you look at it from new church perspective, new church perspective, we believe there's the literal sense and then there's also this deeper poetic sense. What is the deeper poetic sense was going on? Well, it's because his heart was moved by mercy. This is a beautiful definition of mercy here. Mercy is love grieving. Mercy is love grieving. You think about what's, what's all captured in that moment in those tears. Well, one is he had his own idea of costs. He knew what their decisions had cost him, had cost them. He knew the tragic costs of all that. It's not that he glances over it or just glosses over it or jumps right to the end of the story or or, you know, succumbs to pathological optimism, which is its own, you know, own rabbit hole that we don't want to go into. No, he, there's, a, there's a part here of this mercy, of this love grieving. There's a part here of this grieving. It's, it's grieving that there are real costs. And if we can't acknowledge that and allow other people the space to feel it, we will have missed out on the hope and healing that is our job. That is what we to bring of God to other people. But it also, mercy is love grieving, it's also filled with love. A love that actually transcends what they had done. Just as for many of us, no matter how many times our kids screw up, for the most part, there's always an open door. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. So now he's got a choice to make. This choice he makes, it's a long part of this Bible story. You can read it. It's Genesis 42. I'm just going to focus on one part of it. Again, it's a much longer story that would be its, its own sermon, and I don't think we want to all be here for three hours. One is plenty. But, but I, I just want to focus on this, this one beautiful line. And here's that beautiful line. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack. In other words, they brought this silver to buy the grain. So he fills them up with grain, gives them back their money to give them provisions for their journey. He couldn't tell them who he was. 
But this is what he could do. This, my friends, is how the world starts to change. You can see this slow turning around to, yes, they can change. Yes, I can change. And if those two are true, then maybe we can change. It's critical for us to imagine a world where that is possible. Where we have every right to sit in our anger, our vengeance, our judgment, our upset, and never allow people the other the space they need to change. And in so doing, take the same thing from ourselves, take our ability to change, and in the same way, keep our whole society from changing. Back to John Lewis. Chief Kevin Murphy, 52 years old. Now, John Lewis, throughout his years in Congress, and I wish I'd had the chance to do this, would do a, would do a civil rights tour for congressmen and other people where we would take them to civil rights sites down in the South. Shortly before he died, he went back to the church that was sort of the center of the civil rights movement there in Montgomery, Alabama. And unbeknownst to him as part of this, the police chief, who wasn't even born in 1965, gets the microphone, apologizes for all that had gone on, and offers John Lewis his badge. That is a powerful world right there. And when you look at a picture like that, we need to ask ourselves, who is freed? Who is freed? How do we show up for the ones we love? Well, clearly, part of that, friends, is forgiveness. Just simple forgiveness. I mean, I believe to my heart, regardless of sides people are on, everybody is really trying the best they can with what they have. With the information, the upbringing, the outlooks they have, they're doing the best they can. And we have to have a spirit of forgiveness. Why? Well, again, it's how it all ties together from the prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Like the two are together. We are forgiven as we forgive. And as I say all the time, as I say all the time, like that word forgiveness, like it's forgiving. It's forgiving. And then we have a faith, too. It's about forgiveness and a faith. A faith, they can change, which means I can change, which means we can change. 
there's a lot of we in that picture. John Lewis, right? And that idea of, of faith, right? Like, like faith, three words to think about with faith, I think that are so important that I repeat a lot, but they matter. Faith can be defined as trust. Faith can be defined simply as faith as we usually mean it, like belief in God. And faith can also mean faithfulness. I think this is a story with Joseph of faithfulness. I think the story of John Lewis is a story of faithfulness. People who really believed deeply that God really does establish in our hearts the better angels of our nature. And sometimes it takes a while to see that, a while for people to grow into that, a while for us to grow into it. But that's the faithfulness of that we just keep on holding each other faithfully. And that's what will allow change to be possible. So last year, John Lewis died. And this is what he decided he wanted to have happen for his funeral procession. He wasn't met by angry segregationists on either side of the bridge. He wasn't met by fellow human beings cheering him on, reminding us all love wins, reminding us all the better angels of our nature, and lastly, reminding us all of the bridges we must cross. The spaces and distances over we must pass, that we must pass. So friends, this week, let's pray for the tenderness of heart. A tenderness of heart that's able to say, yes, they can change. Other people can change. And if I can really hold on to that tenderly, I can remember that I can change. And if they can change, and I can change. And it's God's grace that we all do. We can move towards a world of truly believing and truly acting into this, that we in the end can change. Thank God. <laughs> Literally, thank God. Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to do a prayer together. After that, I'm going to do the Our Father prayer. And after that, we'll have our last closing song reminding us all we can get by with a little help from our friends. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Lord, stir in our heart 
That simple trinity of openness and love and faith. Faith that yes, they can change. Faith that if they can change, I can change. And faith that if I can change, we can change. That doesn't mean, Lord, jettisoning our most heartfelt values because that's where you reside. But it means carrying those values forward in a spirit of openness where love is always held first, where we remember, as Anne Lamott famously said, grace always bats last. Allow us to live into that world, Lord. Allow us to be those kinds of messengers of your message. Our Lord, our God, thank you for your presence here today. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Uh, I get high with a little help. From my friends, oh, I get by with a little help from my friends, oh, ooh, ooh. What do I do when my love is away? Does it worry you to be alone? No, no. How do I feel at the end of the day? Are you sad because you're on your own? Let me tell you, I don't get sad no more Cause I get by with a little help from my friends Oh, they lift me up, I get high with a little help from my friends Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends Oh, Could it be anybody? All I need, all I need is somebody to love. Bow a little help from my friends. Oh, they lift me up, I get high. A little help from my friends. I'm gonna keep pushing, I'm gonna try. A little help. 
my friends. Oh, 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 oh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Would you believe in love at first sight? I'm certain that it happens all the time. Oh, yeah. What do you see when you turn off the light? Much, but I know it's mine. Oh, yes, it is. As I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, oh, I get high with a little help from my friends. Keep on pushing, I'm gonna try with a little help from my friends. Oh, listening you can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv